Welcome once again to another episode of Mike, Mike, and Oscar. As the intro song told you, it's time for another Oscar race checkpoint because the news, it just keeps a coming. Uh, I'm your co-host, Mike One, co-host also Mike in a moment as we have a loaded show filled with all sorts of awards, news, and information. This is your, I, I you know, I want to say weekly, but it's basically <laughs> been twice a week. So it's your whatever, your constant, I guess, feed of all things awards-centric and awards news-related as we go around the Oscars sphere here. Mike, the theme of this episode episode, as you said, is a paradox, which I always thought was two places to park ships, but it's not. <laughs> no, it's not. It's <laughs> it's funny. It's ridiculous. Uh, it is a situation here, Michael, where the award season calendar, when the award shows are being programmed, when all those dates are falling in, everybody's claiming their real estate, their dates, that is starting to take shape while we have this box office apocalypse and everything yeah. on the theatrical movie going schedule is of course moving off the schedule so it is a temporal pincer movement right now if you saw tenant no of course you didn't just the words <laughs> gibberish to you but it is a paradox two things that shouldn't exist at the same time the grandfather paradox if you go back in time can you kill your own grandfather would <laughs> would it stop before the knife hit your grandfather and you wouldn't exist because if you killed him you wouldn't exist so we don't know but this is what's happening to the movie industry right now and i'm gonna have even less clarity as we go through the rest of this episode i had a really really weird and off-putting sex joke to make there but i'm gonna pass on it because we have enough content <laughs> in this episode to get through so let's dive right into it let's start with the stuff that seems concrete yes. uh and we will talk about the new updated award season schedule mike Okay, so the Gotham Awards are going to kick off the award shows on January 11th. Okay, so we got that. We got Sundance that's happened end of January. We got the Golden Globes on February 28th when the eligibility also comes to an end for the Oscars. Now, March is loaded. We have the Critics' Choice on March 7th, the SAGs on the 14th, Mike, of March, and then the next day, March 15th, we have the Oscar noms. So I don't know hmm. what we're going to do for an episode there. Two episodes <laughs> of seven. I don't know what yeah. we're going to do. That's crazy. Uh, we have guilds that actually took their claim, planted their flags now on the rest of the schedule. We have the WGA, the Writers Guild, on March 21st. The Producers Guild, the PGA, they took the 24th of March. The DGA, I'm jumping ahead, they took April 10th. The BAFTAs, the day after the DGA, that's going to be April 11th. Leading into the final Oscar voting, April 15th to April 21st, don't forget the Ace Eddies. The Ace Eddies, the Editor's Awards are happening the 18th of April. Spirits, the 24th of April. The Oscars are on the 25th. And I didn't even mention when the nominations are being announced. So we, we have a loaded schedule, Mike. Yeah, we really do. And it's it's kind of all over the place and spread out pretty nicely this year, which I guess is to be expected when you have More a nine-month so. lead-up. Mm -hmm. Right. Uh, the WGA screenplay noms, those are going to be announced February 16th. The Ace Eddie noms are going to be announced almost a full month later. Tattoo uh, it on your 11th. forearm, yes. <laughs> and the PGAs, will, the nominations there will be announced March 12th. So... Uh, that's kind of the headline for me. All of this gets out of the way this year 
prior to final Oscar voting, if the Oscars are what they are historically going to be, which we will also talk about later in this episode. But this is a more... Well, do the guilds affect how you're going to vote for the Oscars? That's more in play this year than it was last year with that truncated, crazy voting schedule. Yes, it is more spread out than last year. And my take today was that it was going to be that it's too spread out. And it's too, like we're going to have a whole day for the Ace Eddies. But when you actually add all the nominations in there, it, it, it's pretty loaded. And it's, it's kind of going to be nonstop. So if you think the orcs are coming fast and furious right now, it's going to be Lord of the Rings inside uh, <laughs> the dwarf castle there. Right? Uh, you sh- I think you're, you're just, your point is to just make references. You know I'm not going to understand or get this whole episode. And I respect the, the triteness of it. <laughs> um, so you would think that if it's more spread out, it's it's gains the opportunity for a film, a certain film or one film in particular to gain momentum. Right. But that just happened last year with Parasite when nobody knew the results of anyone by the time all these voting deadlines passed and everyone was still on the same page anyway. So uh, it's going to just be interesting to see how this all plays out, which is, again, what I say a billion times every ORC. But it, it's very true because 2020 is such a focaccia type of year. Yeah, it's so weird because last year we had consensus built and established for the four acting categories, no question right. about it, and it was a condensed award season. This year it's going to be spread out, so what does that mean? Does that mean consensus builds more easily? Does, I, I, I think it all depends, and we really need a think tank on you know people's voting habits to really figure this out. There's no right answers, and we we can theorize to the to the cows come home. It doesn't right. matter because the, uh, the cows... Are, uh, are never coming home because there's fires and there's global warming. Anyway, <laughs> metaphors are getting scarier, Michael, because when I <laughs> take a leap into a metaphor, then I think about 2020 going haywire. It, it is scary. But the, the, the schedule came out, and at least we have some you know, overall framework. We got the skeleton of it. Now all the critics' choice or all the critics' awards, are, they're starting to fill in as well. So it's going to make sense soon. There you go. That's one thing that's concrete that at least for now we think we can rely on and hang our hat on. Another thing is that the BAFTA came out this past week and they announced new diversity review results, Mike. Now, we just criticized the hell out of the Academy for having toothless uh, yes. you know, uh, rules and regulations that they put in. The BAFTAs, though, they seem to have some teeth to their rules. Are they vampire teeth? Are they baby teeth? Let's talk about it. Again, I'm struggling with metaphors today, folks. (laughs) 1,000 new members from underrepresented groups are going to be added to the BAFTAs Academy over the next two years. That is aggressive, Michael. 1,000 new members from underrepresented groups added over a two-year period. That is much more aggressive than what the Academy did. And they're going to have what they call conscious voter training, which, okay, I mean, I I like... The idea, obviously, on its face of aiming for a wider inclusion and deeper diversity, I, as I have the same take on this as I always do when any time this type of thing comes up, don't put a number on it. If you're going to be hard and fast, try being hard and fast with a percentage, not a number, because that usually turns into, like when we did have that episode bashing the, the Oscars' uh, new diversity initiatives, it just turns into quota filling and it turns into minimals. So I'd rather not see a number, but like you said, adding 500 new members a year, which is what the average is there, not necessarily what they will do. Ambitious, okay, knowing what I know about the BAFTA body. 
super ambitious and yeah i'm gonna have more on that in a second let's look at the categories that they're adding to michael they're gonna take best british film and they're gonna expand that to 10 noms they're gonna take best director expand it to six noms they're also gonna do a new round of voting that requires voters to watch all of a list of films before they're allowed to vote so this is called this long listed round of voting to essentially make more people see more movies on bafta's new viewport Portal, which is essentially their streaming service so like the you know the academy did something similar there i don't necessarily think the academy's rules to watch all the films in a particular branch or whatever is as stringent but this is the baftas very embarrassed right very embarrassed yeah. after baftas so white last year and taking what they think is a necessary evil like you said and putting these quotas out there. These are hard and fast numbers. These aren't quotas. You can't say they're anything but. The question is, will it work? Will it be that you know that necessary step? The last thing you said, other than the hard and fast number of 1,000 over two years, which we, which we just discussed, the last thing you said there kind of sticks out to me, that you're going to have to obviously rely on this streaming bubble or service or whatever they want to call it, to be a checkpoint or a checklist for your voters where that will keep track of what voters have watched what Mm -hmm. and then allow them to vote. So I'm going to be interested to see, one, if that is how that works. Like, are they actually going to tell a voter, hey, you didn't hit play on two of these movies in this category, so we're not going to allow you to vote because that would be kind of radical. I actually don't hate that idea, especially if the benchmark is just to hit play on the movie and not to finish it. But I I wonder what the variables are tied into there. Uh, Two, you're clearly giving into streaming services here. (laughs) Like every new innovation that comes from these voting bodies and the Academy included, it's cool but it's also heavily reliant on the streaming era and it's everybody admitting this is where movies are going in the future it's that exactly that no question about it the rest of this episode is going to be exactly that (laughs) the question i have is you know expanding the nominees the number of nominees has that necessarily worked before michael I don't know. I, we, we looked at Best Picture being expanded by the Academy, trying to get the popular film imperative, at least according to to what they were trying to do after The Dark Knight. And we've seen very mixed results. In fact, I would say, you know, the popular films don't necessarily get there every year, especially not the right popular films that the, right. you know, the mass viewing, you know, the high ratings audience will tune into like avengers endgame no it's not even in consideration because people don't perceive that as an oscars film even though it's got the critics it's got everything in my opinion they don't perceive it as an oscars film so when the baftas choose six white guys and director two years from now after people forget that they're six you know that's going to even be more embarrassing i hope it doesn't happen i hope that you know these procedures work and right. I hope that the industry changes, number one. But, I mean, we've seen this critic's choice, not necessarily, you know, a, a situation where we, we get, you know, a ton of diversity all the time. I, like, I don't know. I mean, they have six noms. I, I don't know if this works necessarily, just expanding the nominations number. I also wonder 
what effect, if any, that will have on the academy going forward? Is the academy ever going to expand again? I mean, your your point is well taken, and my response to that would be, look, it's going to be 2021, 2020. We can't have all white anymore. We can't. I mean, it, the studios are to blame. These voting bodies would be to blame. Uh, yes, they're going to be embarrassed. They probably should be at this point because we're all grown adults here, and we know what the facts are, and we know what's happened in just a recent history yeah. of the last half decade or so. I mean, it's ridiculous to point these things out anymore, but it's still happening, so we have to. But, uh, yeah, I just imagine, I wonder what's going to happen with the Academy in tow with that as well. I'm not against more nominees just on face value, just to have for the sake of having more nominees. I, I kind of don't mind that idea if you wanted to move some of the big categories up to six if you were the Academy too, but I don't know that it'll be adopted anytime soon is kind of my gut reaction. We just talked about the awards calendar and the Critics' Choice is one of the first of the major precursors. Mm-hmm. And I always love the Critics' Choice because it had, right. I mean, they don't, you know, necessarily cap it at six either. I mean, they'll have seven nominees in certain categories, right. like supporting actor, supporting actors will have seven one year. And it's, it's fun. It, it is fun to go from a wider field and kind of contract that as award season goes along. So yeah, I'm, I'm not against it either. I don't know if you necessarily need it at the end of the journey. The BAFTAs are kind of one of the last stops before the Oscars right. there. But it's, you know, it's it's still kind of fun. Does At that point in award season, though, I, again, I'm going to go back to my, my last point. I, I don't know if you need it there. It's gonna it, it might actually open or reopen a door for somebody at the end of the day at the Oscars. If, let's say, someone gets a win at the BAFTAs and then the Oscar voting happens, which is what's happening this year. So Interesting, yeah. That's that's a little different than in the past. I don't necessarily think that's worked out that way every year where the BAFTA Awards happen, and then you got two weeks before the Oscars, right? I mean, it's usually tighter than that, or at least it was last year. Here's the thing. Like, you and I are, are just starting out as Oscar pundits, and it, it is so... Like, we really needed to look at the last three years of schedules to compare it. Because now I'm wondering, wait a minute, does the BAFTA Awards happen every year before the Oscar winners are voted on? And now I'm unsure. But I, about, bottom line is, you know, a BAFTA winner could change an Oscar winner this particular year. I don't know if that's always the case, but this particular year it could happen. Well, if it's clarity you're looking for, Mike, you're in the right year to not have it because uh, let's talk about some finance stuff and its effect on the movie theaters, which are all going to be closed again soon enough, it seems like, in this country. Uh, Regal Cinemas announced today, today, August, uh, that's not today's date at all, is it? October 5th, Mm -hmm. Regal Cinemas announced that they will be suspending operations at the end of business on October 8th until further notice. Along with that, this past Wednesday, or I guess last Wednesday, for those of you who like to live in the present uh nato which is the national association of theater owners the dga directors guild and the mpaa motion picture association of america in alignment with over 90 prominent hollywood names i know steven spielberg's name greta gerwig's name was specifically mentioned as signees on this letter they did pen a letter to congress asking them to pass a bill for more relief funding to help theaters just make it to 2021 they put it in quotes in this yahoo article as needing a bridge to get to 2021 here is a quote from the yahoo article itself quote according to the letter 93 percent of theater owners experienced over 75 percent of losses in the second quarter of 2020 if that downward trend continues 69 nice percent of small to mid-sized theater chains will either close permanently or go bankrupt which would eliminate 66 percent of jobs it added uh that of course the letter adding it michael 60 percent of the time it works every time is what i get from this yeah i think i have a lot of thoughts here 
I think I have a lot of thoughts here. I am just okay. humming today with analysis. <laughs> just listen, we're the two least surprised people in America at this point. You were predicting yep. this was going to happen in March. And I was like, I hope you're wrong, but I, mm-hmm. I make, you make sense when you talk to me. I, let's not do news shows anymore. And we stopped doing news shows. <laughs> it's like, I don't want you to be right. I don't want it to be negative all the time. So we stopped doing news shows. And all the while we said, all right, this is not going to work. We've gone to the movies ourselves. There have been like, it's been a ghost town. Let's be honest. Yeah. Been, I was just at the trial of Chicago 7. It was me, Andrew of the Nomcast, and one other old guy. We all had gloves. Wow, we all that had, was it, huh? Yeah, I mean, it, well, Andrew had gloves. I didn't have gloves, but I had hands in my pockets. There's, We were the only people there, and when we were out in the hallway, it was just, you know, like nobody else there. And the town around us was humming. It was just a million people. So movies Jeez. are doing no business. They're just not doing business. We've seen the box office numbers, like I said. So they can't survive a year out of business we've talked through amc we talked how these theaters are over leveraged most of them they needed to change their business model to survive a year out of business to survive a pandemic the government needed to do a lot you know different things to help industries like this one survive and you know now they're they're asking for a bailout essentially to to stay afloat It's exactly what it is. And I had like all I want to do is point the finger of shame at everybody, but I, I don't take any glee in being right about this. Oh, but it's, it's just the way it, the way the country has gone uh, this year. Uh, this sucks. I mean, they've NATO specifically as well has had 9 months now to come up with something. You know, <laughs> like anything. Any kind of innovation, any kind of new way forward or new path or new stream of revenue, anything. And what they chose to do, their plan A was to do nothing right. and wait for normalcy to return. Plan A1 was to do nothing but maybe Tenet, right? Like, maybe Tenet will be the one to draw everyone back. And I understand the argument that Tenet was the wrong movie to put out in theaters and that if Wonder Woman went out, they would draw in more theaters. The, the counter to any of it I have, I don't care what movie you put out. You shouldn't have put movies back out without New York and L.A., period. New York and L.A. weren't going to open up without a more controlled virus. Look, it's a BS argument, in my opinion. Tenet has done pretty well overseas. 260 million, something like that, overseas. For a movie that's fast-talking English time travel nonsense. And I love it, don't get me wrong, but it's not necessarily one of those international movies that should do well internationally, period. This is a domestic movie that needs an American audience to make most of its money, again, yeah. in my opinion. And it's it's one of those awesome blockbuster movies. All you guys, watch it when it comes out on PVOD on HBO Max for $30 in a couple months, and watch it like three times, or, or buy it, or whatever. You're going to enjoy it, I think. It, it rewards further viewings, but bottom line is... It doesn't matter if it was Wonder Woman or Tenant. People are just not going to the movies. Right. Maybe a few right. more people would have gone for Wonder Woman. Right. They're not going to the movies, period. That's my, that's that's what I said uh, on Twitter, I think, last night or the night before. It's like, even if it was Wonder Woman, what are you talking about? Another 20 million max on the domestic box office? And NATO, by the way, coming out and blaming Governor Cuomo for movie theaters still being closed. Come that's on. why Bond got moved. Like, what are you talking talking about dude you've had nine months you came up with plan b nine months after this virus started in this country and it's hey congress can you give us money what are you doing 
NATO has really dropped the ball. Studios haven't helped them. Let's be honest. I mean, no, some studios you're absolutely right. like WB, they've been hard charging forward themselves and they took a huge risk and they're going to lose money with Tenant unless it makes it up on the back end. But movie theaters aren't going to see that because HBO Max is going to put it out, right? Look, all these movie studios, they are owned by conglomerates, if I can speak. The movie studios are owned by conglomerates, media conglomerates that have major stakes in television, cable, and streaming services. They are making their entertainment bucks elsewhere during this pandemic. They have other streams of revenue. They can survive. They can survive. They're still selling to Netflix. They're still selling to Amazon. We'll go over all of it in a few minutes as we go studio by studio. But bottom line is, you know, the movie theaters are the ones out you know in the open with their pants down i mean at the at the end of the day we talked about it a couple of weeks ago when we talked about the paramount accords they're leaving vertical integration open as an option we both think that studios are not going to buy these movie theaters at the end of the day but somebody is somebody's yeah, going to buy that's... these movie theaters studios need it to happen so i guess at the very least studios could but we think it's going to be streamers or conglomerates themselves right i very much do think that i think it's going to be it's, i mean it can't be some independent and it can't be a startup i mean it has to be somebody who has like like you just talked about with the studios get their revenue primarily from other sources that's why i think an apple could be in play a walmart could be in play amazon etc cetera, etc cetera. Uh, look I, I i mean i don't want to be dire and forecast the but I, that's, you took the word out of my mouth this is this is dire straits right now. I mean, if 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 you're looking for a government bailout when government can't get its own head out of its own ass to bail out, you know, citizens that have lost their jobs, yeah. they can't they literally can't come together for a plan to help people through COVID. Like they literally can't do that. That's not me hyperbolizing. That's not me getting on a soapbox politically. That's that's a Congress can't do that because they hate each other so much. And now you're an industry. This entire industry has waited so long that their plan is, well, maybe the government can help us out. And then what? Then what if they don't? You're screwed. No, it's a, it's a damn shame. And a lot of theaters are going to close. And then other people are going to swoop in and buy some of them. And maybe some of them won't be bought. It's just, it's really frustrating. You'd hope Cinemark and Regal and Cineworld there, you hope they'll survive. You hope AMC could figure out another financing option at the end of the day and the change that can survive. But NATO is going to lose a lot of independent theaters unless they I don't know have... how any independent theater is staying open right now. I mean, again, I don't want to be that dire forecaster, but it's just obvious to us, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, it really, and it's it's it's. You're right. It sucks. It's sad. I, I mean, look, I have an idea. It's going to come up in a little bit. I, I might be able to help. Again, I, if I have to be the one to save everyone here, I would. No, uh, we will talk about. It. I do have something I want to pitch, but it's not going to be a save all. But all right, let's uh, let's go in. You teased it already. Let's go in talking about studio by studio about what's coming up, and we'll focus on some potential contenders here, Michael. Yeah, we got a lot of news pretty much from every studio over the past week, week and a half. So we'll start with WB and HBO Max. They have two big moves uh, over the past few days, Mike. That number one, like we predicted, like everyone predicted, they moved Dune. Frank Herbert's Dune with Timothy Chalamet there. Uh, that was too close to Wonder Woman 1984 Dune. They moved that from this December all the way to next October. Not this not this October. October 2021, which mm. is the current shared date of Batman. Matt Reeves the Batman, so that's going to move now too. We, yeah. we both think that Wonder Woman's going to move as well. So number one, Dune moves off of December. Again, no surprise for you either. 
I like I don't understand the rollout, which was just two weeks ago now at this point, why they had that big Twitter event. But I guess it was in the middle of the week, so it's more easy to look past. It doesn't matter. We talked about that. We discussed it. And we said it's not like that's all the momentum from Dune. They're going to be able to get more momentum behind it. I'm a little curious about this new date. I mean, I understand WB, for whatever reason, thinks these films have to be shown in the order they have them in. So they all, when one moves, they just move the entire, you know, piece of art. They, mm-hmm. they don't move just one section of the actual painting. I, 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 if you're gonna release something in October, wouldn't the Batman get a, just by its essence do well in October? Especially a dark, gritty, Riddler-ridden Batman. That Batman seems to be a fun October movie. But right. uh, yeah, I mean, you wonder if Dune with the giant butthole worms—that's kind of scary too, <laughs> right? <laughs> I guess. Yeah, that's. You know, we're all in fear of the butthole worms over here. So, and maybe, I, I, maybe they do see it as a major Oscars player, and that's why they want to kick off the season with it. It's got that first week of October date, but okay. I mean, we're, we're going to expect more moves to come from WB, no doubt. Well, it would have been a major Oscars player this year for at least yeah, the technical awards, sure. right? I mean, cinematography, VFX, sounds, I mean, uh, the, the undercard was uh, was was looking like, you know, a Denis Villeneuve movie would have filled it in nicely at mm-hmm. the very least. That's, that's not going to happen now. You'll wonder if a Robert Zemeckis film that's now headed to HBO Max, The Witches, which is starring Octavia Spencer and Anne Hathaway. It's kind of this Hollywood Ronald Ronald Dahl adaptation. Ha- uh, Halloween. I call it Hollywood. Halloween fairy tale. There. What do you think of this play by HBO Max and WB moving it there? for October 22nd before this Halloween. I can't imagine there's many, if any, people that are like, okay, now I'll pay 15 bucks a month for HBO Max <laughs> oh, no. because the remake of The Witches is going there. I, I don't see that. Okay, so you don't like it. Now, is it one of those things where HBO Max sub- subscribers are happy to have like a Halloween kids movie on there for their kids? Maybe they're trying to not only get you know HBO snobs like me watching Max, which I've been a lot lately, they're trying to get their kids. Has anybody subscribe to HBO Max other than you and me, Mike? Like, has this been so poorly handled? In my opinion, this is, they've done nothing with this. And I thought it was going to be a huge streaming boon, but the adver- the numbers, the subscriber numbers seem to be pretty much what they are. They haven't really shifted much in, in terms of what I've read. I- I'm kind of surprised with the ball's been, if not dropped, it slipped a little bit, I think, with HBO Max. Well, they got a bunch of stuff heading there. They got Charm City Kings. They got Let Them All Talk. That's going to HBO as well. You know, kind of the Meryl Streep original movie there. They got a Melissa McCarthy original movie, Super Intelligence. Do they move the Denzel Washington film, Little Things, in January there? Do they move Mortal Kombat to HBO Max? We know Wonder Woman's not moving there from December. That would be shocking to us, at least if it's not a you know $50 VOD. But... Yeah, this is this is interesting. This is kind of like what Disney Plus has been doing. We'll talk about Disney Plus a little later, but I mean, it makes sense from that regard. I wonder if they're just trying to get more kids involved in HBO Max. And you're right, Wonder Woman obviously is not going to move, but would that not actually guarantee you a bump in subscriptions? Oh, it, if you, it definitely if you would. put that movie out there. Right? But again, is I it mean, making you billions when it when it right. Wonder Woman should make you a billion dollars? Bottom right, line. exactly. And those tentpole movies have to do what those tentpole movies do for the big studios to, to keep getting by. So yeah. I get it. Well, let's move on to Netflix. They had a bunch of stories. We'll start with Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. That will get a Netflix release date on December 18th. And The Prom, the musical, I think from Ryan Murphy there, is that's due out on December 11th. I've heard both in Oscar conversations. What do you make of those dates? It's odd that one's right after the other. I have two questions. One, 
is this the future of streaming in general? Like when every service has their sights set on the Oscars and award season, are we just going to have week after week after week of potential contender coming out one after the other? Or is this two more a sign that the prom isn't going to be something Netflix throws their weight behind and sees as an Oscars possibility and something Netflix wants to pursue gold with? Well, I see both your arguments because other than Hillbilly Elegy, in November, you know, Netflix doesn't have a lot of Oscar grabby films to me. You know, Mank, unless they, you know, reinsert Mank there, they put Bruised or uh, Pieces of a Woman, some of their acquisitions recently. They seem to be holding those plus the Midnight Sky, plus, like I said, I think they're going to reinsert Mank into the winter. But bottom line is they're putting out all their Christmassy stuff in November, and then they're putting out something like The Prom, which could be just an attention grabber. It could be a fun family movie that, you know, it's it's a Broadway hit. It's going to be a, a hit in December when kids are watching. It can get a lot of eyes on it. And I think ultimately Netflix is more concerned with that. All that being said, you know, Ma Rainey was getting a lot of Oscar buzz this past week mm-hmm. at that Oscar date, coming from IndieWire, Ann Thompson, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Writ- written a bunch of great stuff Ann Thompson did. I'm talking like Yoda for some reason right now. But <laughs> I think that Netflix is spreading out their slate to get more eyes on it. That's why Defy Bloods came out in the spring. I think it played great. I, I think that it, it was in the Oscar conversation. It kind of kicked off the Oscar talk. Trial of Chicago 7 coming out before the election, Mike. Everybody's talking about it as a major player. And I think, again, you know, you're going to get a lot of eyes on it by putting them out uh, throughout the calendar. And as a huge added bonus for Netflix and their PR team, who's doing a great job right here, you're getting a yeah. ton of Oscars hypes as well. It's a, it's a win-win for Netflix right now on these other movies. Yeah, Netflix can really do no wrong. And speaking of The Trial of Chicago 7, the first reviews for those are in. It's carrying at last check a 91% on 86 reviews on Rotten Tomato. Mike, you've seen the film already. You mentioned that. You saw it alongside Noncast Andrew. Is there anything you want to tease us with about this one? All right. I, I wondered how to do this, but I think <laughs> I'm just going to go bull- charge ahead and say it. The Trial of the Chicago 7 is just great enough for you and I to hate it, Michael. Oh, great. <laughs> great. Now, Looking forward to it. Now, that's mean. That is mean. And I'm disrespecting the long, meaningful conversation that Andrew and I had outside at a restaurant after watching The Trial of the Chicago 7. Because, look, let's be honest. It, right now, as things stand on my list, diluted year, whatever, slow starting year, whatever, it's in my top five. Probably my top mm-hmm. three if you take films like Hamilton out, right? Hamilton right. documentaries out like Crip Camp, which I love. For what we got so far, it's a top tier film and it's in my top tier right now. That being said, I told the truth a minute ago because it's the same exact grade I gave to The Shape of Water and Green Book. <sighs> so although I was mean, I did tell the truth. The trial of the Chicago 7 is just great enough for you and I to hate at the end of the day because there's things wrong with it that I just want to scream at. But it's so well done, and I love Aaron Sorkin, and I will worship it. I will join his cult, and et cetera, et cetera. But right. I'm just mad at how this movie is just – It's just there's something off about it. And if they proclaim it as a best picture winner at the end of the day, I am going to burn it all to the ground, Michael. Yeah, we uh, – I'm scared to even ask about the follow-up to when we <laughs> saw the trailer at one of the more recent ORCs and absolutely toured a new one. Look, I mean, to I guess Sorkin's credit, uh, we were, I, I didn't see much backlash the kind that we gave it, so maybe he's avoided it for the most part, but I'm almost scared to ask if that's the path that – we can expect some of our rage to be found. Let's put it this way. At, at this point, 
you know, you and I want to study it. So we're going to wait until after it comes out and study it. And I think uh, Andrew's going to do an episode on it for you guys. So listen to the Nomcast. And he's very bullish on it right now. And I don't blame him. And I, I think it's a really strong film. And we haven't had, a, you know, films to this level so far in 2020. So if it is left standing, then so be it. At, at the end of the day, I think that's where I'm going to land on the trial of the Chicago 7. If it's the best we got, then let's give it the awards and it does enough to earn them. I hope other movies beat it out is what I want for obvious mm. reasons, for reasons that we mentioned 20 minutes in that Oscar trailers episode, right? So right. I don't need Sasha Baron Cohen on, on the podium, even though I love Sasha Baron Cohen in the film. <laughs> Get him up there for Borat, not for the trial of Chicago. Stuff. <laughs> there you go. That's coming. Mike, the <laughs> Over the Moon trailer, too, happened, and you got a lot of takes. I got goosebumps from this trailer. Like, this gave me... Oscar goosebumps like you read about. And look, I'm sure Soul is going to be amazing, but I thought this trailer, much like the first one, looked spectacular. If Pixar's name were splatted across the beginning of this trailer, I wouldn't have been surprised. Go ahead. So the looks of this, I mean, the animation was beautiful, right? And And the sound! The sound was gorgeous. All right, so so is that where you're going off on this? You think that, you know, the production values are just so damn high that you're in love, or you just like having rabbit sidekicks on your adventures? Either one. (laughs) (laughs) Because look. I don't ask for much. (laughs) Maybe you're just setting a low bar for your animation. I don't know. It's been a a barren year, Mike. (laughs) It has been a barren year. I thought it looked great. Visually, I was stunned. I mean, the fact that they have, you know, things that should cause me seizures, not causing me seizures. Again, you know, they really understand what they're doing. The problem is like this plot. Uh, I mean, unless they they have a lot to explain. Let's just put it that way. You have the smartest child prodigy to ever live who basically invents space travel for herself in order to prove to her family, Michael, that the fairy tale about her relative and moon queen is real. Yes. Problem. I'm just saying it's a paradox. We, we talked about this episode's going to be a paradox. You got this genius child sci- uh, scientist trying to prove a fairy tale is real. Just saying. Okay. So that immediately, I guess. immediately that's an issue. <laughs> She okay. fails to get the space, and she's rescued by the Moon Queen Goddess. We talked about this as a deus ex machina. I'll allow it. But here's the thing. <laughs> That's trailer one and, and the very first quarter of trailer two. I'm not allowing anything nonsensical here to forthwith. In this cartoon-drawn movie? <laughs> you got a rabbit sidekick. That, but that's as much as I could stand. And I can't stand no more. Look, she gets to the moon. She can breathe. Uh-huh. Without a mask. Are you just mad that you have to keep wearing a mask down here on Earth? Yes, but this is for, I'm more cognizant of it, right? All right, that's problem number you know three or seventeen. Whatever. Uh-huh. The moon right. goddess performs huge musical numbers with the help of all her moon animals, and nobody on Earth sees this and everybody's got an effing telescope how does she hide is she on the other side of the moon literally over the moon i guess well <laughs> i don't know the specifics of where the moon goddess most likes to perform on her own planet but i will say the songs in the trailer i thought this could be sneaky for best original song too if the oh. year is so barren and we go forward with the oscars like we like they want to let's do it great <laughs> let's i'm talk, not winning you over let's huh? talk more about this moon goddess what's okay. her motivation she look she makes moon air breathable not moon she makes the moon breathable somehow she has this hidden kingdom of singing moon animals at her beck and call and they As all one seem, does yeah 
these kids barely get out there. They fail to get out there. She saves them. The kids get there. And instead of sending these kids home immediately, she tasks <laughs> these kids with going back in time to find her long lost love. Yeah. Well, she's a little lonely. How many times do you think the moon goddess has somebody for a gopher up there? I'm just saying, Mike, I, you know, I see some red flags, some possible yeah, if, red flags. If your theory is that the whole plot wasn't explained, I grant it to you. There's a lot of, they're going to have to connect some strings. I agree. Because <laughs> it is, on its face, a preposterous story. I can't wait to see it, though. I'm just, I, I really want to see it. I, I, either, even if I think it's preposterous at the end of the day, it looks beautiful like you Yeah, I'm, I'm really looking forward to that. But, okay, if we're facing a reality where the moon goddess <laughs> covers Netflix's animation arm, right? And this is something I teased on Twitter and what I kind of teased in this episode, too. Mm-hmm. I know we're going to transition into Disney in a minute anyway, but Netflix with the moon goddess, Trial of Chicago 7, Mank maybe... They're going to have, they're the only studio that's going to have movies that cover literally every Oscars category this year, right? Yes. And the theatrical landscape being what it is, is it possible we're on the verge of an Oscars telecast that doesn't give out any competitive awards, Mike? What do you mean by that, though? Do you think that consensus is going to be built and these Netflix movies have an edge over the rest of the competition because they've been able to, you know, curate their no. slate better than anybody else's slate? What do you mean by that? No, I don't mean theoretically. I mean literally no competitive awards. I mean the Oscars pivot what they're going to do this year, kind of like in a way that Ann Thompson, when we talked to her and interviewed her, uh, oh. alluded to. And I'll, I'll I'll try to sell you on what I mean. Oh, okay. So this is completely theoretical. This is like Com- against, completely against yes. all is, our tenets. It, it, <laughs> good, good word usage. But yeah, it's it's theoretical. But I also don't think it's as far afield as something that is just impossible to happen. Because I I, I find it very hard to believe Disney is going to foot the bill. And we've talked about contractually how the Oscars telecast needs to go on, and if it doesn't, ABC ends up paying it. That's money that would come out of Disney's pocket. So Disney is footing the bill for the program mm-hmm. as it is. I find it hard to believe they're going to foot the bill for a program that legitimizes and only basically rewards Netflix. A coronation of Netflix becoming the big bad in the industry. All because Netflix's business model doesn't use theaters. Like, I can see the Academy having a problem with that. I can see Disney having a problem with that. The only people that wouldn't have a problem with that, obviously, are Netflix. And people who stand Netflix and people who run Netflix original movie podcasts. All right, so what's the basic program that you're rolling out for this theoretical Oscars now? My pitch (laughs) is that the Oscars this year become somewhat of a telecast, like a Jerry Lewis telethon-esque fundraiser for NATO and for theaters. But it's not just, you know, you're not just a fundraiser on screen. You could actually also incorporate the Oscars being what they are and hand out actual awards. I mean, you honor the TV contract with Disney and ABC. You roll out the red carpet. You get as many A-listers. You get some performances. You be as safe about it as you can. Personally, I would still advocate, like I have pitched on here before, when ESPN did that phone-a-thon, that telethon, that fundraiser for Katrina back in 2005, where you call up, you could have like Brad Pitt working the phones, yeah. you call up, you donate 20 bucks, it goes to NATO, and maybe you get a chance to speak with an A-lister. That's, But that's an idea, that's neither here nor there. But you can treat the group of films that have managed to come out and captured momentum or tried to do some good, you could treat the groups of film, the current quote-unquote nominees or possible noms that we have to pick from this year, 
like the White House treats the Presidential Medal of Freedom or like the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame treats one of its inductee classes. It's a class of recipients. You could do whatever differentiation you want or none at all. And you could just hand out honorary Oscars to Tenet. You can give one to Christopher Nolan. You can give an honorary Oscar to Nomadland without necessarily calling it best picture, without calling... I mean, if the field is so diluted that the major studios are abandoning ship altogether and we don't have really the film festivals to rely on for any independent or lower tier movie to come through and gain positive momentum, all that's left is Netflix to crush the competition. I don't think Disney is going to want to be in the business of Netflix crushing the competition, especially it's going to be very hard if the Oscars are going to be a fundraiser for movie theaters to take that seriously when every award you're giving out is going to a streaming service. You could say the same even if Apple TV gets their self in order with A24 like we're going to talk about. So, this is a ruthless play on part of movie studios, in particular Disney and their conglomerate overlords. Yes. To yes. essentially deflect or delay streaming services having their day at the Academy Awards. And yes. So it's an evil it, motivation. Well, it accomplishes, no, as this it accomplishes two things. I'm not going to say it's only evil. <laughs> I'm not going to say it's, it's hidden and evil. There is the underlying benefit, let's call it, to a, a conglomerate like Disney that that happens. But... I, I sincerely think, and people smarter than I, I go back to Ann Thompson, what she said, it could be a moment to help theaters. And God knows theaters need help and they need a moment to be helped. Obviously, and you hit on it, the biggest obstacle to this and the biggest protest would be Netflix, either in general or specifically saying, why in God's name are we going to roll out these new movies if there's no awards that we can have them for? So I think the there's another fix available to that where you can prolong the 2022 Oscars window and force a, a studio like Netflix to choose whether they want to get behind Mank or get behind whatever their 2021 film at the end of the year to chase Oscars would be, etc. You can include these last three months of 2021 to be in the window, much like the window has been extended for 2020. You could just rearrange that window again. I mean, that's that's one answer. That's one possibility. There's other roads, there's other avenues to make this possible. But the catch-all with everything is if the Oscars are going to do something, they would have to announce it soon. And I understand that because obviously the, Net, the, the Netflixes of the world, the Apple TV Pluses of the world need to make their distribution arms happy. They need to get that settled and they're not going to be playing games with. We know the Board of Governors meets once a month. I mean... Is this really so far-fetched? No. And are the ratings going to suffer so much, I really, if you do this? I don't think it is as far-fetched as I would hope it would be. I really want to call you a complete lunatic right now <laughs> and say that you're strange. And yes, you know the fact that you actually gave it an evil motivation with a, with a villain and a, and a heel behind No, no, it, no, no. I would never. Not me. The fact that you did that and <laughs> colored it in and kind of sold yourself on it and, and, and it's just the, you're relishing in that evil motivation for this beautiful thing. This, uh, this let's give everybody an award. Let's high, everybody high fives. It's Kumbaya Oscars. I called it a circle jerk the minute ago and I stand by it. <laughs> Look, if you change the rules on Netflix last minute, Netflix is probably taking their ball and going home and never coming back and saying, screw you, perhaps forever. I can see that. (laughs) That's a danger, certainly. That's a danger. But also, like, look at the field that we're dealing with right now. So, I mean, well, bottom line is, I do think, and and the rest of this episode is going to kind of fill in, you know, this issue. And I'm glad you posed this, this, 
possibility today because I do think what's going to happen now is what should have happened a while back. And I think a lot of the specialty movies, I think a lot of those movies that could make money on PVOD, they're just going to have to make money on streaming services and PVOD. They're going to have to come back into the schedule to fulfill their Oscar obligations. If the Middleburg Film Festival and the New York Film Festival can do it, then these movie studios can do it. And they they really don't have that far to go, Mike, because they're owned by media conglomerates who have their own streaming services, who have their own cable networks. This is not that hard. The fact and, and what's been standing in their way is movie theaters. So maybe right. what needs to happen for movie theaters is that movie studios need to ante up bail them out finance them to get through until this covid crisis is over maybe that's what needs to happen and maybe movie theaters can finance that backing that bailout of the movie theaters by putting some of these films out on pbod and maybe cutting them in in some way like you've been saying since march right and that's ideally what the plan would be and for the record i am 99% that there's going to be an Oscar show. I'm just I saying mean, there has to be. If you but, don't finance movie theaters the way you're supposed to finance them, th- this would be the equivalent of a freaking bake sale for movie theaters. It's you're not right. Gonna, you're, that's you what know. I said at the beginning. It's not a catch-all. But my pro- the problem with movie theaters, I think, that you didn't mention, yeah. is that, yes, they need to get a, a cut, but nobody's going to be looking out for them if New York's not open, if LA's not open. You know what I mean? Because they're going to go just say, well, it's the government's fault. Why are we going to pay for the government being in charge of this and shutting it down? The government is the one who should kick in the money. They're the ones that are forcing these places to be closed when indoor dining is still happening, even though that's an absurd argument that I saw NATO make in Variety this past week because indoor dining in New York City is capped at a 25% capacity. But anyway, or because gyms are open. Like, there's other avenues and other indoor activities that are open right now, but movie theaters aren't. So it's the government's problem. Why is it our problem independently? Uh, the other way around that, I agree with you, is that studios have proven that they need movie theaters. They do need movie theaters in the long run, and they will have movie theaters in the long run. The question I'm having throughout this episode is who's going to own those movie theaters in the long run? And will it be the same people that own them now? Uh, the right thing to do for, from studios, I think, is if they can to help movie theaters after the fact that the government's going to leave them holding a bag is what I'm guessing is going to happen. Uh, but we'll do see. you but, really? But the bottom line is, you know, this movie idea that you have for the Oscars would be our nightmare, number one. So I don't want to speak it into being, even though you will just be happier to be right at the end of the day if something this monumental it was to oh, I would, I will, I will never let anyone forget it. Yeah. Absolutely, so yeah, I, I don't want the that. Size of the that you will be in suffering. But here's my, here's my counter, Mike. Do you really? I mean, as much as we appreciate these films, do we really want to go through the charade if the studios back off the calendar completely, as it looks like is going to happen? If the streaming services That's are the, the only games that in I town, think is faulty, though. I mean, the streaming services are getting more movies than ever. Number one, and I do think the studios right. work them their their slates at least most or some of their slates back into the fray i mean they got a bunch of months to do it i mean the movies are completed a where lot are they going to play them where are they going to play them well they're gonna i mean the searchlight movies could go to go to hbo max and hulu i mean that's where about what we're so they're all to they're just going to beef up streaming more like i that's what i that's what i don't understand then how can you take it seriously so how are you going to take it seriously that theaters matter you know what i mean like 
again, it's and a I crisis. Don't want... It's a co. It's a once in a hopefully lifetime crisis. This <laughs> pandemic, which is what you said in March, they needed to take temporary measures to change the business model for movie theaters. Yeah. To keep them afloat because this was happening for a year. It wasn't happening for two months like we thought and hoped back in March. You said this. This is your words I'm throwing back at you. If you make an award show where everybody wins, it's like the Kroll Show skit. Nobody's going to have fun. Remember the Canadian uh, uh, American Idol skit? Everybody wins. <laughs> but I guess nobody my point. I, I guess my point, and I, I, I agree with everything you say. I, I, I don't think I don't think this happens. I think it makes a lot of sense. I too. want I losers. Totally see. I want people crying in, inside, but acting right. outside. But but I, but the, my want. point is the field of, of losers you're going to have is like Nomadland beat out Onward and The Invisible Man for Best Picture. <laughs> Look, I, you're you're using hyperbole right now. I don't think it's no. <laughs> you could still have news of the world. Listen, let, let me try and convince you otherwise for the rest of this episode, the next 20 okay. minutes or so we have left, because there still could be movies that move back in, even though I guess I'm you know, arguing against myself now because I'm going to go into Disney and they're talking about movies moving out. The, right? first, the first of which is the French Dispatch, which looks like, according to Ann Thompson, it's going to punt on 2020 and the 2021 awards, and it's going to move to Cannes or it's going to move to Berlin. I wonder if that means that just doesn't have the goods. What did you make of the French Dispatch for Searchlight Pictures making a move? I guess Cannes would make sense because it was supposed to debut in Cannes this year uh, before all this COVID mayhem started. Moonrise Kingdom, interestingly enough, is the only film of Wes Anderson's thus far to debut at Cannes. He's done Berlin before for premieres and debuts. Grand Budapest Hotel, Isle of Dogs, both of those went to Berlin for the first time and were shown at the Berlin Film Festival for their opening. So it wouldn't be that uh, different from what this eccentric auteur has done previously. Uh, yeah, I, I would kind of be sad to see it moved again, but I, I wouldn't be shocked at this point. I, I was hoping it was just going to swoop back in in January or something if the theaters were open, or at least New York and L.A. was open, and then it would get a more proper release. Kind of, I guess there's the a spring. chance because Berlin's is in February, right? So it could, at the last second, I guess, make that change. It could. It have to open somewhere stateside. Uh, something's gonna, right? There's always a 1917 swooping in late. Even if News of the World got pushed and that's your late breaker, there always is a late breaker. I mean, Nothing it, would surprise me in this year. No, absolutely not. I have no idea what's going to happen. Right, but I still think there's a deal with Searchlight Films going to HBO Max, and that's why, like, the next movie I'm going to talk about here, Next Goal Wins, I would be surprised to see that you know, hit like Hulu. Like it doesn't seem like, like Disney needs to make another deal to get Hulu, which I think they own or their conglomerate owns, right? Buena Vista owns because they got the Hulu Disney plus bundle, right? Yeah. You need those movies to be able to go to Hulu. Otherwise, why would Disney want to put all of their adult skewing films a on Disney Plus or B on HBO Max if that's where they're supposed to go. Like I mean, we've seen it. Like again, Ford v Ferrari, Jojo Rabbit, all these Searchlight movies are heading to HBO Max because I'm guessing they have these time old deals with the Fox 20th Century Searchlight. Sure, you know, heading that way. So we just heard Next Goal Wins may be a Sundance 2021 film. So that could hit the schedule again. I mean, you know, we're having more films as possibilities here, Michael. And as far as Next Goal wins go from Taika Waititi, that, Jojo Rabbit, we got to enjoy these Taika Waititi kind of doing art house pictures or auteur-driven stuff when we can because, and this is an article I saw from Screen Rant, uh, well, Taika Waititi is going to be busy making Disney billions of dollars in the immediate future. 
because his next few movies lined up after Next Goal wins are Thor, Love and Thunder, a Star Wars, and he's also tied in not only to Disney, but also WB, mm-hmm. as he's tapped to do the live-action adaptation of the manga comic Akira. So big properties. He's, yeah, he's got he's got his work cut out for him for the next decade or so, I think already, just in those three. Never mind if he finds any free time to make more quote unquote little movies. Well, if he wants it, he deserves it. I I think he's proven capable and he did a great job with Ragnarok in my opinion. So, you know, hopefully it, it works out for him. I, I, I like his smaller movies. I love Hunt for the Wilder People. Obviously oh, yeah. we both love Jojo Rabbit. Yep. And uh, I wanna see Next Goal wins, even though it sounds like a white savior complex to the hilt with Michael Fassbender just teaching uh, Samoans how to play rugby come on (laughs) they are rugby. that's a story we can all relate to (laughs) they are rugby but it'll be funny because it's Taika Waititi anyway Disney and a bunch of their subsidiaries here moved a lot of their theatrical slate off of the fall and early winter winter schedule Michael West Side Story Black Widow Eternals Death in the Nile moved from late October to December. Soul seems to be holding to November 20th, and we're going to talk about why in a second. What did you think of half the Disney schedule moving? I think it makes sense, unfortunately. I think studios are just abandoning 2020. I think it's going to be left in the wilderness, and whatever survives afterwards is what we're going to have as an industry. And I think that kind of sucks. Disney's not, at least on its face, completely giving up on 2020 like they just unveiled the poster for that ryan reynolds video game movie free guy Mm -hmm. and they're insisting it's coming out in theaters december 11th we'll see if that actually happens that's part of 20th century studios but yeah as far as this is kind of the impetus for me saying that the oscars are gonna be a little different this year than anything we're used to because i I, look, I know you have hope for these movies coming back, but I, I really don't see it for the most part. If I'm wrong at the end of the day because I'm a hopeless romantic, uh, I'm willing to be that wrong. But here's where you're still not right. Mm-hmm. Mulan is actually a failure, and you thought it made certain numbers and still called it a failure. But here's the thing. It didn't make those certain numbers. <laughs> so that doesn't make you right. I'm not willing to see that point, but ultimately Mulan looks like a box office flop because... Everybody overreacted to the 50% number, and Yahoo Finance in particular overreacted mm-hmm. to the point where they've retracted their story, saying that that $261 million estimate on what Mulan made domestically via their Disney Plus subscribers, that's actually poor, more like a 10% overall U.S. number. That's a problem and that to equals, miss it by 50%. Yeah, that's a lot. And that, and that equals 62 to $93 million, Michael. So if you do some easy, simple math, with I, which I, for some reason, always try to do, Mulan made about $67 million internationally at the box office. So that's between 129 and 160 on its take between the domestic streaming and the international box office. We don't know what the international streaming could be or is but bottom line is what's happening right now is mulan is planning on releasing and expanding to all of the pvod platforms on everybody's video on demand service from amazon to voodoo to apple whatever over the next coming weeks before it goes to hmm. disney plus permanently so they're expanding because they're trying to make money at this point i mean that's not good news uh, it's a lot worse news than what mulan's first numbers were when we reported on them uh, I guess, Terrible. you know, is 67 million profit a win? Well, they're doing that. You know, what's the second run? What's the second life? What's the DVD sales or the Blu-ray sales? What are those worth to Disney? What do they usually get in on a movie like Milan? If it's more than 67 million, then they lost money here. Uh, 
you'd much rather have those first set of numbers, but I, I, you know, I don't know how Yahoo was off by something like 50% like that. That seems crazy to me. But this is probably the strongest pillar in your argument overall for your cockamamie yeah. circle jerk Oscars because we have Soul, that should be a major Oscars player in perhaps more categories than, you know, we figure that can't stay on November 30th. I don't care how many NBA finals commercials you had, you know, stating that it's going to be only in theaters, right? I mean, it's, it's not going to come out domestically in theaters. It can go out internationally all at once. We hope we think, even though those numbers are going up now again. So if Mulan didn't make Disney money, maybe you can argue that was the wrong movie for them. Maybe you can argue the price points are off or whatever, but that didn't work. And we thought it did work. And that's a major problem. I think it clearly didn't because you see Disney, like we just talked about to start this segment, abandoning ship, getting out of 2020 altogether, not even playing games with PVOD or anything going on. They'll put out movies they don't have any care really about. But something like Mulan, the reason I called it a flop in the first place is because the biggest studio on Earth tapping into the biggest burgeoning international market, that thing should be making a billion dollars worldwide. And it doesn't seem like it's going to do that. That's... A problem, I think. Now, I could make the argument against Milan because I didn't like it, but, you know, I'm right, kind of, right, you know. Right, sure. It's, it doesn't live up to critic standards. I get that. People are making the same argument against Tenet. Are you blaming mm-hmm. that movie? I mean, we wanted to see Mulan at the end of the day. The marketing worked, and I bought it. So, so I don't necessarily know if I'm being hypocritical there. Bottom line is Disney's got Nomadland on December 4th, Free Guy on the, on the 11th, Death on a Nile still there on the 18th. Everybody's talking about Jamie, the Kingsman, Antlers. They're, again, all the Disney subsidiaries. Those are in late January and early February. So Disney's got another slate that they're going to have to move off or move into PBOD coming or what? I mean, we don't know. Nomadland seems destined to get released this year, right? Because it's an Oscar frontrunner. Uh, but Death on the Nile, you may see that move. I don't know. I don't know what Disney's going to do. Your best picture nominees are the Kingsmen. <laughs> you're, you're not going to stop going forward. No, this is going to be it's going to be bad. If if what I hope you're right, and I'm very wrong about this, because if there's an Oscars program where we have to like throw our weight and we have to debate here, well, was Bill Burr that much better? You know, like I it's can't. not that. Regardless, <laughs> it's not that because at least you'll get four of the Chicago Seven in that category. Great with Bill Murray, but look, great <laughs> after the shining review you just gave us the tease. You got to see it for yourself. I got to see it again. We all got to do some more homework on the Chicago Seven. It's better than maybe I'm putting it out to be. Then. Again, Again, we may rage in a couple of weeks. Mike, let's move on to Universal, Focus Features, etc., etc., their subsidiaries. The big news is that No Time to Die moved off of its uh, Thanksgiving release. It moved to April of next year, which I predicted exactly on mm-hmm. the second-to-last Bond episode a couple months ago. We've been predicting this for a while. Fast and Furious 9 also delayed to May. Bond is off the Oscars board, and again, that takes an original score, an original song, a VFX, a cinematography, uh, Koji Fukunaga. I mean, we we know how good he is visually. I think it was at least going to get nominated there in a diluted year. You never know best picture. It's, it's, It's rough for our character study. It's rough for James Bond right now. Uh, yeah, I don't know what's going to come of that character study. We were talking about it before we hit record. <laughs> we might have to stretch like a, a TV program ending early and the host is out there cracking bad jokes. So well, you'll we, see. We said we're having fun with it. And so far it's been a monthly, you know, oasis for us amongst right. all this crazy stuff. So maybe That's we true. just keep doing it. Maybe we do a song. Epi- I don't know. Well, we were going to talk about it. I think we got at least four out of the six months covered. So we just need two months. So if you guys have ideas out there, let us know. 
Yes, please. Anyway, Focus Features, they got Kajillionaire in theaters right now. That's one of those 17, well, 21 days, 28 days, whatever it wound up being. That's coming to PVOD mid-October. Focus Features is also going to continue with this model, at least last time I looked, with the uh, movie Come Play, just like one of their horror films, and Let Him Go, the Diane Lane, Kevin Costner, Leslie Manville movie. So, look, movie theaters may be closing. This may be irrelevant right now, but they were going to go with that AMC 17-plus day model uh, with that new deal. What did you think of that, you know, group of movies? Well, I'll tell you what I thought, Mike. I went to Rotten Tomatoes. (laughs) Yeah. To look up the uh, early scores for Kajillionaire and letting you know how you're doing and letting fill you in on it, dear listener. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. Rotten Tomatoes had the utter audacity <laughs> to have the 50 worst-reviewed horror movies ever sitting right on top of their site as if I wasn't going to click through it and pick it apart for a few hours. So really the lack of any relevant Kajillionaire information or follow-up here is squarely on them and not me. So this is why I got all the uh, Freddy movie texts over the course Jason of takes Manhattan is not that unwatchable. <laughs> it's not good, but it's not that it's not eight percent. I I don't know how to respond. I really don't. I I think you have a a, a place in your heart for these bad horror movies, and I, I I love you all the more for it. I don't necessarily know if I want to review them all on this show in a continuous series. Kajillionaire is holding an 88% on 123 reviews, right. 80 Metascore Thank on 30 you. reviews. Okay. It's got a 51% audience score, 6.4 on IMDb. I'm not happy about anything that you just said. Universal Mike <laughs> is also going to follow this short window kind of deal with The Crudes, A New Age, The Crudes 2 there, and this uh, Blumhouse horror comedy called Freaky, which was supposed to get a 28-day window. So Universal, Blumhouse... Uh, focus features they seem to be aligned with pvod they seem to know how to release these and make money at least enough money that they're going to release a whole nother slate i think these movies have a way to make money for these movie studios and i think a lot of people will buy nomadland etc etc on the oscar slate if they put them out there for 20 bucks a pop i think they think those are money makers at the end of the day are these studios going to commit to do it Look, maybe it's going to come down to marketing. I mean, maybe if you don't have that film festival word of mouth momentum type thing to carry something to an Oscars relevancy, it's going to you're going to have to trick people with marketing or get some kind of way to force a movie into the zeitgeist and the lexicon. I don't know. Again, I'm having a t- I, somebody's got to do something innovative. News of the world is getting true grit vibes, according to Ann Thompson. If Universal put that out on PVOD in January, wouldn't we all buy it for 20 bucks? Especially everybody listening sure. to this podcast. Sure. Promising Young Woman, if Carrie Mulligan is getting Best Actress vibes at that point in the year, even though Eric Weber didn't have the, you know, the rave review that other people have for Promising Young Woman. Again, is that a film from Focus Features that could gain some Oscar momentum or at least a ton of buzz and we all want to buy it and see it? Uh, on PBOD. I, I think I would. I think you, you're with me on that. Yeah, I, I would definitely watch. But of those titles, I, I, I mean, you know, is News of the World the only one that, that's going to be historically considered an Oscars-type movie? I mean, I, I guess that's... Are we going to end up crowning a movie just because we have such a barren landscape? Hopefully it won't be as barren. I know that we're going back and forth through every segment like this. I, again, I just hope you're right. I would love to see something happen where uh, something is taken advantage of and some of these studios are able to make money somehow through PVOD or through some other mechanism that isn't just loading up the streaming services or selling to Netflix or Apple. 
Well, I do think that uh, Neon has done a nice job throughout this pandemic because they've been releasing a lot of movies that have gotten a lot of publicity. They've been putting them out directly to Hulu, Big Time Adolescence, Spaceship Earth, The Painter and the Thief, Shirley, which we did a big show on, Palm Springs, which was a zeitgeist film, as you just said. Mm -hmm. Neon and Hulu, they're going to have another small slate with Ammonite, Gunda, documentary about a pig, if you needed to know. Of course. Alex Alex Gibney's Totally Under Control, Night of the Kings. Great trailer for that. Okay, so so good. I mean, and I like Night of the Kings, by the way, at the New York Film Festival. Love that movie. So they have a miniature slate, and I'm sure they could add to it with some other of their movies here. Neon has an obvious outlet with Hulu where it seems to be profitable for both parties. Ammonite may be the most talked about movie ever on MMO that never even comes close to any sort of Oscars relevancy. In a and I'm normal not saying that's year, a lock. After yeah. it gets slammed at the film festivals, <laughs> at least partially slammed, yeah, you would think that right. it would struggle. But I mean, it's in play. It's in play. It's totally in play. It has to be. Kate Winslet yeah. was getting Best Actress vibes at the end of the day. Uh, but let's move on to A24 now. And A24 is another studio that needs theaters, I think, or at least they think they need theaters. I wonder if that's starting to change, though, because they have yeah. this deal with Apple. The movies they've put on Apple have done very well for them and done very well for Apple, it seems. Boy State, On the Rocks is coming out soon. Elephant was a, it was a hell of a movie, for Christ's sake. They have a slate that's still on the board for 2020. Come on, come on is the Joaquin Phoenix road trip movie. You got an exotic dancer road trip movie called Zola, which uh, I think you know you were hyped about uh, coming out of Sundance, right? Very excited for it. I just reread the text thread that it's based off of. It's a wild story. It easily uh, lends itself to the cinema. We have no doubt about it. Sure thing. Write it in with pen. Best picture frontrunner, The Green Knight coming out from a24 at some point this year <laughs> with the tree man there saint mod is on that list too so i mean gun to your head mike do you see any of those going apple tv plus do you, do you, which one if you had to pick would apple get behind anything like that so if i had to pick it's minari and i just watched that beautiful new trailer and minari's got all these jokes about a mother-in-law i've got all these jokes about the grandmother she's taking a lot of heat in that trailer but it's it's, it's funny <laughs> it's it's really it's beautiful i mean the father's starting a farm it's an immigrant story however (laughs) we've seen a24 movies be hard to watch we've seen them be hard art house right hard rated art art house because these are auteurs that they support unequivocally that they patron and champion unequivocally and you don't necessarily get the broadly appealing goods of an on the rocks or even the banker or greyhound like i mean what we've seen an apple original movie be at this point in you know apple original movies however with the next news story here i wonder if that brand is changing i wonder if apple's starting to diversify their original movies because they got this film like cherry which from the russo brothers and tom holland is supposed to be rated hard r it's supposed to be a a heroin movie right what's going on with cherry yeah they apple spent over 40 million dollars to get the rights to this movie cherry Uh, according to indiewire they also indiewire report that the russos have been saying tom holland is going to be oscar worthy in this and apparently he plays a soldier home from iraq who ends up addicted to opioids and fighting that battle that is all too relatable for way too many people yeah, it's, but those movies typically don't gain mass audiences. We just saw it with Beautiful Boy on Amazon yep, with Timothy that's Chalamet. Exactly what I was going to bring up. So, I, like, I don't know. If that is a movie that Apple thinks 
everybody's going to watch because it's Spider-Man chasing the dragon and it's just look, I'm, I'm, that could I'm, be the I'm, title I'm, to the next movie <laughs> I'm an immature dope and I really shouldn't characterize it that way because it seems serious but everything I've heard about that movie I mean that is Tom Holland mother effing everybody dealing with serious stuff and here's the other thing in a year like 2020 is that a is that a performance we're going to want to highlight like we do have the Oscars there's nobody there and we're giving the best actor to Spider-Man because he got hooked on bills but it's got Sundance rumors attached to it. You know, Minari can't go to the next Sunday. Could it do both Sundance? I, I'm really excited all to kinds see of Minari. Questions. Yeah, all kinds of questions. Middleburg Film Festival. They haven't sent me a receipt for some reason on, on, on my film festival slate. But apparently they're going to announce it any day now. Minari's a part of it. It's a centerpiece. I may have to buy an extra ticket. But F- FYI, guys, you know, that's coming out soon. I'm hoping to catch, you know, fill in a lot of these movies. Apple's got some interesting moves in them. They seem to be flush. They seem to be doing well. People are, you know, subscribed enough for them. Obviously, they got a huge parent company to back this division of a movie studio. So I still shudder to think if Apple actually does end up beating Netflix to the Oscar stage for the major categories, what the reckoning from that would look like. I think it's going to be absolutely fascinating. I mean, but your question about Sundance remains. Can a film go twice? How important is this Sundance going to be versus other years where it's the lead into the Oscars as opposed to the first film festival of the new year and looking at the next year? All kinds of questions. I agree. It's it's or, or, crazy. You know, If Apple just says, all right, Minari is a vegetable movie, it's a parade of sadness, you know, family film, immigrant story that's really tough to watch. But, hey, it's appointment viewing for Oscar fans. Watch it on our streaming service. And A24 is probably like, yeah, give us the money for it. We'll happily do that. Yeah. At the end of the day, that might be the move. Yeah, could be. Anyway, Mike, we have another film that's totally intriguing because it's a beautiful trailer with two beautiful actors. This is coming from BBC Films, Studio Canal. I wasn't even thinking of doing BBC Films today, but Supernova is the trailer with Colin Firth and Stanley Tucci. I know we're long, okay? But we can't have Colin Firth and Stanley Tucci be in a relationship. We can on screen, off screen, <laughs> fantasy. It can't happen. All right. How can any couple ever live up to the standards of debonair fashion and gentlemanly essence those two combine to create? Are you kidding me? Their super likability <laughs> is hard to resist. We're all supposed to watch these two men overcome impossible odds, nary getting a single piece of fabric nor hair out of place, and just accept our drab realities and wardrobes afterwards? (laughs) Fuck you. That's what I say. Fuck you. You should have liked the King's speech more. What's wrong with you? (laughs) Stanley Tucci playing a man here slowly suffering from dementia. Uh, We discussed this previously when talking about uh, the father, Anthony Hopkins, Olivia Coleman movie Mm -hmm, coming mm -hmm. up. That's a ripe difficulty which to mine Oscars and awards gold through. Uh, I've dealt, I know you have too, both dealt with close family members. Mine was a parent who suffered strokes that have affected their mental faculties. These stories always have hit me hard, which I'm sure is a feeling that many can relate to as well, just talking about how the Tom Holland performance is one that a lot of people can relate to. I'm sure the Academy is going to find a way to relate to both as well. And this actually, this preview kind of reminded me of the uh, Death of Dick Johnson documentary coming up that we're going to review. Yeah, totally. I mean, Death of uh, Dick Johnson is Dead is the sorry, uh, yes. title that we Thank both you. mispronounced. And uh, <laughs> you're thinking of the Death of Dick Long, which is not Dick Johnson, by the way. But right. I, a funny I word. got those confused and I just wanted Dick to say is, Dick. You got me. <laughs> Dick is a funny name. It's a funny word. Here's what's also funny and not in a way that's comical. It's just strange, right? Because we have the father going head to head with Supernova at 
San Sebastian. So if this year all comes down to the Golden Shell, Mike, I wouldn't be surprised because here you had the father winning the audience award over there and essentially the same subject matter, right? Right. That's not a good that's not a good look for Supernova or is the father that much stronger? We don't know. Bottom line is I love this trailer and I love the father's trailer too, but I I, I thought that this movie looks more Oscar-y than people are giving credit for, but maybe it's a bad movie because it lost. Yeah, what am I look, supposed to think? Of the two, I I kinda got more Oscar vibes from the father, but again, we're just going off trailers, so who knows what they have in store. But I'm not gonna also I'm also not gonna bet against Colin Firth and Stanley Tucci teaming up in that kind of story either. Yeah, I mean we're just gonna have to see it at the end of the day. All right. Finally, we wanted to end with Amazon. They have an awesome slate coming up one night in Miami. I'm hoping to see it at Middleburg, but it's it's coming out pretty soon or later this fall. Uh, Regina King, et cetera, et cetera. We also have the marvelous Mrs. Brosnahan. She <laughs> has got I'm Your Woman that's going to AFI Fest. And then Amazon, they're coming out with the documentary Time that's going to hit their service mid-October that seemingly did well with the critics at the New York Film Festival. We've talked about the Steam McQueen anthology. We've talked about the Blumhouse anthology, I think, as well. One has a horror movie title that is not the horror movie anthology somehow small acts nope that's a steve mcqueen one anyway mike amazon made a couple announcements as well maybe they have more of an award slate than we're giving it credit for right now sylvie's love is going to drop around christmas that is going to be an epic romance starring tessa thompson yeah it's supposed to drop on christmas right now if amazon is to be believed it's a romance drama tessa thompson 1950s that's cool but look if you've listened to us you know we're meathead (laughs) sports junkies and that's why we're focusing right now on the fact that historic NFL free agent signing, former Raiders All-Pro, former Philadelphia Eagles scapegoat, yeah. Namdi Asamoa. He's plays the love interest in this. And look, full disclosure, Mike, I was aware Asamoa was involved in film production. He was actually even a producer on The Banker, which I think I mentioned during our review of that in the, in the mm-hmm, episode itself. Mm-hmm. But this is going to be the first role I see him in. I couldn't be more excited. I have so many jokes ready to ridicule a man who is so much better in every aspect of life than I am. It's abs- like, take that, Namdi, and also congrats on your wild success in two radically different spheres of entertainment that virtually nobody else has done, you loser. <laughs> I, I hope he's good. I, I think I've seen him in something at some point, and he was fine. He's not, yeah, he's, he's, he's IMDb resume. He's got, he's got quite, a, quite a number of roles. On screen. You, you don't ha- do you have it open by any chance? Because yeah, just as an actor, he's got twelve credits. Uh, TV shows like Cubed, Leverage, The Kroll Show, Double Negative, movies like Hello, My Name Is Doris, Sylvie's Love, uh, Crown Heights. So he's he's Crown Heights. Crown Heights is what I saw him. There in. you go. Yeah. Lakeith Stanfield was in Crown Heights, I believe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there it was. I'm turning into my father. <laughs> Where did I see that person in that movie? Destroying oh, the Giants, you. most likely one Sunday. <laughs> Right, thank God for Sound of Metal, and we told ourselves we were not going to do the jock nerd thing and talk about football anymore, but here we go. I forgot I had that copy written already, I'm sorry. I should have remembered. (laughs) Sound of Metal, Mike, this is about a rock drummer played by Riz Ahmed who's losing his hearing. This trailer dropped. Critical reviews are raves. 
uh, about Riz's acting, Eric Cohn also said this Amazon Studios original film has the best sound mix he's heard in recent memory. And if it's about him going deaf, then you're really accentuating the sound, obviously. So this might be another bona fide Amazon contender. The problem I have is I hated this trailer, Mike. It's just <laughs> I'll tell you. When I saw the trailer, I was just amazed by the physical form of Riz Ahmed. Like he, the guy's jacked to the gills. He looks like Flea from the Red Hot Chili Peppers, but as a drummer, and just right. like he was doing nothing but push-ups for the past three years. He's in shape. He's done push-ups. He works out. The trailer <laughs> is him screaming, I'm deaf. He's throwing things. He's declaring his love openly. He's slamming the drugs. He's being taught sign language by adorable kids and who, who say this is why you need to do it. I mean, it's so overt and in-your-face and obvious that these sentiments may be lovely. They may be necessary. They may teach so many people so many good things. It's just not artistic, and we slam these movies all the time i don't know maybe i'm overreacting to the trailer i hope so i've been known to do this i want to love this movie and i'm i'm heartened by the fact that critics love this movie but it's another one like the trailer is awful it's got an Sorry. 87 meta score early on mike 87 yeah. meta score it's but here, here here's what it is sound of metal if i'm the heel if i turned heel on it today mm-hmm. it's still appointment viewing coming to amazon in november could be another Oscar movie. It's adding to my argument that we should have a real Oscars. And Riz Ahmed is due. On. I mean, he's due to, to to be a household name, right? The Night Of. The Night yeah. Of was awesome. Great show. Michael, you wanted to end with Borat 2. Uh, excuse me. The sequel to the Oscar-nominated Borat, you mean, because it fits in an Oscar race checkpoint episode. Yes, it does. What did you think of this trailer? It's nothing, right? I mean, it's at, at least the one I saw was a 30-second nothing. The guy's walking around on a green screen, essentially. But again, let's get Sasha Baron Cohen nominated for this and ignore the trial of Chicago 7. At the fundraiser that the Oscars will be, I want mm-hmm. the chance to call to donate $20 to NATO and speak to Borat on the phone. Maybe I'm looking at it all wrong. Maybe <laughs> I would have the opportunity to put Borat 2 on the same level as Nomadland, and I should embrace that opportunity at both of these honorary Oscar moments in between telethon you know, pitches from the Academy members who are actually answering the phones. Maybe this is the exact thing we, we should do. Even though it's probably a bake sale and they make millions when they actually need hundreds of millions to bail out the industry and it, and it solves nothing and it helps nobody – the point is perception is that <laughs> actors and the Academy members are good people. And that's really all we want at the end of the day. I mean, this is my ultimate cynical take because I'm just deflecting on the fact that I hated the stupid trailer for Borat 2. And why am I such a mean bastard today? Why? Why was this trailer so bad? The second trailer in a row. I tried to cut this from the episode seven times and you wouldn't let me. This trailer sucked. It's not funny. When the trivia question is asked, what was Todd Phillips' first Oscar nomination? The answer is Borat. He was a writer on the adapted screenplay. Um, you research Borat 1, but again, Borat 1 cannot save Borat 2. No, I'm, I'm worried die about it. I'm worried painful, about it. painful yeah. deaths, especially secret sequels, right? Yeah, I'm worried, I'm worried about it. It comes out on Amazon Prime in October. I'm going to qualify my comments because I mean, this just seems like low-hanging comedy fruit one scene after another where liberals are just being downright mean to people and Sacha Baron Cohen's being mean to people. I don't know if that's going to be the case. I love the first Borat. I kind of like the Showtime show Who is America. Maybe it's perfect, brilliant satire. He was great in the trial of a Chicago 7. 
I don't know, but this trailer sucked. If you get 200 A-listers to <laughs> do each donate $10,000 a piece and answer phones, but they have to talk to the donators in a character mm -hmm. that they've played, who's not calling and donating money? It's just going to make... I'm going to find an angle that wins you over with this idea if it fucking kills me. <laughs> It's the equivalent of a Academy You're not wrong. Sale, You're not wrong at all. You're absolutely right. It's only going to do think millions. About, I, I agree wholeheartedly. Think about what the NFL draft made. I heard some estimates is like $20 million, but I think it was – I might have misheard that, and it was $2 million, which is great. You made $2 million for a worthy cause. $20 million even. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree. It's, it's not going to cover in the it. I agree. It's not a catch-all. You're absolutely right. But are you calling to talk to Brad Pitt from – Thumb and Louise. <laughs> All of last year's winners should be required to work the phones. I agree with you. I will call. I will donate. I will get to talk to Brad Pitt. If that's how it happens, then that's how Hello, it happens. Hello, are you young Robert De Niro from The Irishman? <laughs> Guys, we want to hear want to hear your thoughts about my ridiculous Oscars pitch, about any of the studio moving around that has happened in just in the past week or so alone that we commented on here, about what you think the Oscars may look like or where you think they may go from here. You can leave us all of those, as well as any other comments, questions, concerns that you have about anything else we do here in the MMO Empire on our social medias. As always, we are Mike, Mike, and Oscar on Facebook, Mike, Mike, and Oscar on Instagram, at MM and Oscar on Twitter, Mike, Mike, and Oscar at gmail.com.com, and on Reddit. We are available everywhere you hear podcast including an especially apple podcast if you're listening to us on apple Podcasts, if you would be so kind as to leave us a five-star review it would take about 10 seconds out of your day and make our entire day it could be your good deed for the day and we could not be grateful enough for those of you who have and will michael what is coming next you can give the proper name of the documentary we're going to review since i absolutely bombed at saying it on my end and told a different movie uh and what uh what are the what are the words of wisdom that we can end on here the words of wisdom is that dick is a funny word and makes my co-host uh, misspeak. Just go blank in my head. No, no. The, the, the words of wisdom is that I hope you enjoyed this huge episode about our new schedule that is finally taking shape and claiming dates. All that will be coming to a streaming service near you, folks. And I'm sure it's... You know, every single beat of this is going to get changed by next week. So. Nothing will change. This will be the last update news show we do. <laughs> the last one we need. Oh, my God. Mike, I think that uh, we are going to keep reviewing movies as we get them because somehow we're still getting them. We have Dick Johnson is dead to finally quote that title. We, I love the movie. Andrew loved the movie. You've, uh, you've watched some of it. You're going to finish it, and we're going to review that for the end of this week. We got a French exit screening for this weekend, New York Film Festival. We're going to do something with that early next week, whether it's ahead of an orc or it's in its own non-spoiler episode. We'll see how the movie plays on us. We got the trial of the Chicago 7 after further study for you at the end of next week. Michael, I think we're just doing two a week right now because we're working on the website. We're working on ourselves as people, as human <laughs> beings. We need that if, if today's episode is any signifier in that regard, qualifier, we got to work on ourselves maybe that should be the words of wisdom there you go i think that works guys when <laughs> reality sucks i like how my move just sinks my mood <laughs> sinks at the end of the episode to i need dinner and this is where i'm at the, the, mike gave me this cockamamie oscar thing pitched bake sale and now i need to eat and i hated the last two trailers and i'm moody when it that happens happen. when the oscars announce this is happening in november before thanksgiving i don't want to hear anything <laughs> 
<laughs> I'm gonna hate you so much. But I guess that's the dynamic we have. Just sheer hate and love. Like Radio Raheem. When the year or the movies you're watching, or your co-host, I guess, and also Mike's case, suck, you can come watch these movies with us. We are Mike, Mike, and Oscar. Trying to make award season year-round without the stuffiness. We will see you all very soon. See ya.